you for tuning in to the first episode of the West Midlands People podcast with myself, Ashley Wright, and my colleague, John Morris, both from Westray Recruitment Group. Um, and today, our first guest is Richard Couples. So, Richard, you're going to be our, uh, you're going to be our guinea pig for our first one. So, this is our inaugural uh, podcast. Um, and the whole purpose of these, these series of podcasts that we're hoping to do is to interact with other business members in within the West Midlands community, um, get to know a bit more about your business um, yourself, and hopefully we'll talk about some uh, you know some relevant and topical conversations that could uh, you know kind of like be uh, more of a re- resonation I suppose between us and the wider audience. So I think yeah. to, just to kick things off, I will add as well, um, as Ashley is from the northeast, I will try and interpret as best as I can. <laughs> <laughs> so um, if we start with yourself and if you just want to introduce yourself and, uh, and, and your business. Yeah, certainly. Well, thank you very much, John. Thanks. Thanks. It's, it's great to have the opportunity to tell a few people about what I do. Um, but yes, I said my name is Richard Couples. I'm the, uh, the principal of Richard Couples Wealth Management. Uh, I help people with financial advice when it comes to pension transfers, um, financial advice, investments, life insurance, etc., and things such as that. I've been in the industry now for 19 years, ran my own business for five years. Um, it's going very, very well. Uh, as you can probably tell from my accent, based very much in Birmingham, <laughs> which is good. And yeah, so it, 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 the business has grown over the last five years. Um, and starting to contract out a little bit more work to some of the people within the business. So it's starting to, to bring more, more bodies into the business at this moment. That's me in a nutshell. But prior to that, though, you haven't been a financial advisor forever, though, have you, Richard? Well, funny enough, I, I have been a financial advisor, but it feels like forever. <laughs> but in the, in the middle of all of that, I, there was a period when I felt that I, I fell out of love with financial advice. And I decided to start my own business. It's completely go something completely left field and do an indoor children's play centre and to build that from scratch. There was one called Jungle Juniors, funnily enough, um, which lasted for about two and a half years, about maybe about seven or eight years ago. Um, and yeah, that was, that was, that was interesting. It was a different type of business altogether. So not quite so, uh, not quite so professional, but very hands-on, um, constantly on it, um, employing more members of staff and, and more, probably should we say, more dependence upon more outside factors that I wasn't in control of than I am at the moment. So, yes. D- d- different clientele as well for you there, Richard, as well. It's certainly <laughs> possible. <laughs> yeah. It's, it does sometimes feel like I've, I've worked with children in a few different places, but, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, uh, it's definitely more teas and coffees now than fruit shoots and chicken nuggets. So, yeah. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> fruit it's shoots and chicken nuggets. Sounds like my ideal. Sounds it's like what, my it's ideal. what I'm having tonight. <laughs> oh, we were actually just chatting before, really, weren't we, John, saying how there should be indoor play areas for adults. Do you know what? That sounds like a niche in the market that you need to, you need to, you need to mine. Honestly, I'm not joking. It gets me wound up because whenever I have went in the past when I've taken my friends' kids and you can see them all having a good time and I think, oh, God, I would love that, just jumping in a ball pool. <laughs> you know what? You're, 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 you're allowed to go in. Well, it's frowned upon, but let's face it, we can all live with frowned upon. It's just that it's not allowed. I, do, I just need to try and find some kids to go with now because oh, my yeah. kids are a bit older and I don't have to <laughs> There is so that. I think it might be a bit strange if I was just going. I think the problem is with me, if I jumped into a ball pit, I don't think I'd get back out. <laughs> right. I don't think the knees would be up to it. 
No, not now you're a dad, John. Not now you're a dad. No, look after those knees. So. Absolutely. <laughs> so why in your business then, when you were employing staff, Richard, what was it that, why is staff important to you and to your business and what value did did you hope to get from the staff that you employed? Absolutely, yes, yeah. so it, it was a difficult one because it wasn't a particularly well-paid job. So it, it's, hard, it's hard to sometimes attract the best people in due to, due to, uh, to, to salary. However, what, the, what you're trying to do is you're trying to portray the, the brand of your business that you, that you want to do without actually you being there. So it's a matter of trying to get other people to mm -hmm. adopt what you've attempted to build and spend thousands and thousands of pounds on branding um, for them to be able to bring in. And also trust. So for, to be able to trust them when I'm not on the premises, which was most of the time, really. Mm -hmm. So it's very, very difficult to be able to know purely just from an interview or a CV or even from a, a, a probationary period if that person is going to be the person that you need, who's going to be able to adopt all of those different facets that, that you need from them. Um, and and knowing probably the tough one is knowing how much to be able to trust them with and how much to, how many responsibilities to give them knowing them actually i'm not paying them the money that a, a you know a, a brain surgeon was going to get so it's finding that was very difficult to be honest uh, it very it really really was but for me the biggest thing was trust uh, especially when it comes to dealing with cash dealing with children uh, which is probably the most highly regulated area in the uk um so yeah, tr trust trust was a massive one for me. And I think that's important as well. And I think no matter whether you just touched on there and said it wasn't the best paid job in the world, but even when you're employing staff on really good salaries, the trust still has to be there regardless. And you don't know whether you're paying someone minimum wage or 100 grand a year. I don't think it really matters what you're paying them because if you if they're that way inclined then that's them anyway so how did you how did you develop your staff then to to get those levels of trust that you needed and how did you recognize that within your team i suppose it comes through training and development really is that and of course time there's, there's no better thing than time and then them actually proving to you that they can be trusted and do things on their own and you don't have to supervise them but through training, through through training schemes that we would put on, and we'd also bring in outside companies to do those training schemes as well. Uh, companies such as Rosper, who are, who are very very good at things when it comes mm. to children's play centres. Um, Solihull um, Health, um, Solihull Health was very very good at, at coming in and doing training sessions. But bringing in those, having strict regimes of knowing what they had to do every morning, every evening, during during parties during certain emergency situations, if they had something that was generally cast iron that they could stick to, then normally that was the best way to go. Um, so quite often with, with some jobs, initiative's great for them to be able to have the initiative to be able to deal with things, but always they don't always have that. So it's a matter of giving them pretty strict instructions really of what they needed to do. Um, and after a while I've seen them do it firsthand then you hopefully then you, you begun to be able to develop the trust that they can do it without you being there. Mm -hmm. Definitely, definitely. I completely agree. And <clears throat> excuse me. So what made you at the end then? So if you, you no longer have your indoor yeah. play area, what happened there then? Yeah. So what the main thing that happened is that although it was a very, very busy play centre, um, it was in an area of Birmingham called Chelmsley Wood, uh, which has got a lot of young families, uh, a lot of children, 
so it was very well used. The problem that we had, and it's probably bad on my point, is that uh, from a business point of view, is that the although when we first moved into it, we felt that the rent and the business rates were quite high, that we could manage it. But with having having experienced none of the actual foot flow through the business, we didn't know exactly what we was going to be uh, what we were going to be getting. And unfortunately, the money that we made just didn't cover the cover the, cover the rent and the rates. Um, so although we 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 spent a lot of time and effort trying to reduce those down, and we did with the rents. Unfortunately, when it comes to rates, uh, local councils just will not reduce them. They're, they're set by they're set by governments. Won't reduce them. So we got to a point where we said, actually, do you know what? The best thing to do is to close the doors on it. And unfortunately, um, it's, uh, it's uh, that area of, of Solihull still hasn't got a children's play centre, which is very, very sad. And not only that, is that they've not been able to rent the building at uh, that particular unit out since, and it's now just a charity shop. So, so it okay. uh, just shows you how high the rates are, really. Well, I think it's. I think what, what you've done there is very um, brave, obviously going into a, a completely you know, new business venture um, and, and, you know, having a go a couple of years, which some people can't afford to do. Um, but it sounds like you made the, 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 the smart decision and, and you know, and uh, gave it as long as you can give it. So, I mean, obviously you've got your own business now. Um, mm-hmm. And I know from your work history, you've worked with some sort of some quite large multinational organisations like Santander in the past. What kind of motivated you into, into the, the company that you're at there in the wealth management? Sector. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So as I said, it was it was an industry I've been in since I was since I was 18, 19. Um, I'd worked for banks and I'd worked for some insurance companies. And I found that the actual the, the length of employment I was having was getting shorter and shorter and shorter yeah. with each place I was going to. And when you start to look at it from a numbers point of view, it's to say, well, there's got to be a reason for that. And I found that actually I, I was getting fed up of doing work for other people when I knew that probably I could do it better. And I was sitting there analyzing it, thinking. I wouldn't do that and I wouldn't do that and that needs to be better. I thought, well, you know what? This is actually time to do it for myself. And uh, okay, it was a big risk. It was a big leap of faith. But um, I think you have to sometimes take that leap and realise, you know, not, not knowing what you know um, and just go, just jump into it. But yeah, for me, it was purely, purely the numbers to say that actually, if I started off, I worked, my first job, I lasted seven years and then the last one I only lasted nine months. There's a reason why those, those, yeah. um, those yeah. periods are getting shorter. And I needed to work for myself. And since then, that's it. I've never looked back. I've never, I, you know, I, w- I wouldn't look back at going to work for them because they were terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and I know obviously COVID, it, it, I think people are pretty much sick to death of talking about it. We want to see the back end of it. But um, I think just to kind of like make a point and obviously with you being from, you know, uh, financial background, um, and, and some of the things that you obviously do as a business. Um, how, how, has, how has COVID affected your business? And, and with people probably thinking more about the futures now uh, with instances like this coming up and financial planning. What type of products and investments are people taking out at the moment? Yes, yeah, it's very interesting. So, I mean, from an investment point of view, we saw back in February and March of this year, our markets around the world took a very, very sharp and severe drop. It was very, very well publicised. And some markets around the world dropped by over 30% in a matter of a couple of weeks. That's, that's the biggest drop in probably since the late 1980s, so in most people's lifetime. So what the, although it's a matter of trying to appease people and make sure that they know that most of the investments they do are long term, so this drop is only short term, and they've got to still think of the long term. What it also gave us the opportunity to do was to then start to make profits because assets that people could buy 
in, in April was suddenly 30% cheaper than they were back in February. So suddenly an as, a, a stocks and share is just as much as just as similar as it is to buying a car is that if that car is 30% cheaper from one month to the next, you're likely you're more likely to buy it. So why wouldn't you do with stocks and shares? So what we found is that we invested people at very good times back in April in, in the right sorts of in the right sorts of investments. And looking now, looking back over the last six months, some of those have gone back up by 30% and some of them even more. So we've managed to use, use the world situation as, as horrible as it is to some people's benefit. So it's been very, very interesting on that point of view. From a, a completely other side of it, is that from a protection point of view, is that it's made people start to think about their health, their well-being, yeah. uh, their family members. So suddenly more people have been interested in taking out things like life insurance, income protection, worried about job security. So they've looked into redundancy protection, although not, not many companies do redundancy protection anymore uh, mm-hmm. for obvious reasons. But yeah, it's, it's amazing what, what suddenly triggers in people's minds. Um, what they might have been thinking about or putting off for years suddenly becomes very important to them because of a, a, an outside uncontrollable event. So that's yeah. been very important. Yeah, for me, people, although the, the business itself hasn't changed, it's just adapting for this, what I would hope to be a short-term, a short-term, you know, maybe 12-month change in, in the way that the, the financial climate's been. Yeah, it's, I think it's um, it's anyone's anyone's guess. I suppose in the next three months are going to go down with a lockdown, and how that's going to affect the first quarter of next year. But yeah, I totally agree. I think it's going to be a, a period of time when there's a bit of a blip, and companies, some companies can't evolve, some companies can, and we see it in our business, don't we? Ash, um, certain sectors have thrived um, under COVID, others not so much, but. You know, um, you can hope that some of those businesses that have been affected in the negative aspect will, will, will flourish at some point and, and you know, hopefully uh, the economy will kick on. Absolutely. I and mean, we've seen that we've seen the news in the past so, so many months about the companies who have, you know, flourished. Some, OK, some of them are large names that we know are very successful anyway. But we only have to look back at the last, say, six weeks ago. And it was announced that Apple in the US is now bigger than the entire UK FTSE 100 stock market. So that's how much they've flourished in the past six months. So COVID just shows you how these big companies can ride out some of probably the worst events that the world can throw at us. So if they can do it, then we certainly can as well. We really can. There's way, there are ways to manage these things. Have you found that you have had interest from a different type of clientele than pre, pre-COVID? By that, I mean... I know we had a conversation last week and you said you personally have some clients that have a few grand in the bank, but you've got some that have a million quid in the bank. Now, before I started doing as much networking as I do kind of a few years ago, I didn't really understand what a financial advisor did. I kind of heard of it, but didn't really fully understand it. Um, But my understanding was it was all about the high net worth clients and people who had a lot of money and wanted to invest. Have you got advice for people who aren't on the, aren't at that level and it may be only the kind of clients you've got now who only have a few grand in the bank but what they can be doing now to try and protect themselves in the future or why using someone like yourself would benefit them throughout everything that's going on at the minute absolutely yes i mean so f- first and foremost is that 
although COVID has affected everybody, whether whether you've got whether you've got a thousand pounds available to invest or whether you've got ten million available to invest, those people have still got savings, retirement, and investment goals. They've still got the need to be able to, to get a return on their capital. So absolutely, we offer we we offer services to all of them. And within my own clientele, there is a range that there is quite a, a noticeable range uh, within those people. Um, but yeah, so for people who who might consider themselves not necessarily high net worth, uh, which I suppose not many people would admit to anyway, but is the fact that whether you've got a thousand or whether you've got a million, the percentage returns are still going to be the same. So whether you're whether you're looking to invest in something for your retirement or looking to some, invest into something for just your children's education, whatever it might be, is that if you've got a million pounds and you get 8% return, then it's it's still 8%. If you get a thousand pounds, you get an 8% return. It's still 8%. So, okay, the, the overall um, eventual number is lower, but the percentage is still the same. Now, for those people as well who don't consider themselves to be particularly wealthy, is that there are a lot of ta tax advantages now, part, a lot of the job we do do with financial advice is not necessarily going out and finding fantastic stocks and shares and fantastic investments that are going to make a, a lot of money in a short space of time. It's finding all those allowances, those tax allowances that you can use, and you get a lot more of those when you're actually not particularly wealthy. Mm -hmm. So those advantages are, are there to, for, for us to find for you, and we can find ways of... Not, not just saving you tax, but actually getting you taxed back. So those are the sort of things I would say to somebody who's struggling with, you know, they might not think they're particularly wealthy, but they, they need to put something away for the long term. That's what I'd say to them. Still look at using a financial advisor because the advice is still going to be the same. The numbers might be lower, but the advice will be the same. Mm -hmm. So certainly still use them. Absolutely right. No, and I think that's really important. I think that's great advice because I know I personally have a lot of friends who would probably benefit from using a financial advisor, but don't think that they're the right type of person to use a financial advisor. And I think from my perspective, I was always a bit confused as well as who should and shouldn't use. And I think that's what I also wanted to get across through speaking to you is actually advising, well, what benefit different people will get from using a financial advisor, but it doesn't, from what you said, doesn't matter if you've got loads of money or not the benefits and the advantages are still the same regardless. Absolutely. And that's, that's, that's very, very true is that people don't consider themselves to need a financial advisor. They think it is quite a, uh, a quite a, quite a high end thing to have or an expensive thing to have. But what we look at is to say, well, actually, if you if your financial advisor is going to make you more money than what you're being charged, then you're making a net return. You're making a net profit. So surely that's the way to go. Um, but yeah, certainly I, I, I wish more people who, especially what I'd like, what I'd like to see is, is the younger people. So people in their early 20s, if I can get them early and start maybe putting something into or thinking about retirement, it means they actually don't have to save that much because the most important thing is time. Mm -hmm. So if you can get them early, they don't have to start throwing thousands and thousands of pounds worth into pensions because they've got time on their side. But unfortunately, they're the public market. I always say that, so when I was at school, for example, I didn't get taught anything at all about planning for your future or your credit score or saving or investments or anything like that. So when I, when I was growing up and I started working at Westray when I was 16, so when I was 16 and I was earning £5 an hour, 
had no outgoings, obviously, and thought I was the richest person going. But at that point, had it been kind of drummed into me a little bit more about how important your future is and your future financial planning, I would have started a hell of a lot earlier than what I did. And I think more needs to be done in school, starting at school, as um, for kids in school as they, as they grow older. But I think from what you've said, that is really important because I wish I had done that when I was in my early 20s. It's funny to say because most local authorities have come under scrutiny because they might educate their children fantastically well. But one of the general life skills is managing money and they don't get taught how to do it. And so unless your parents or your family members teach you how to do it, then it's something that doesn't happen. So that's why um, a lot of companies and, and mine is the same. We, we, did a, we did one just at the start of the year prior to, to lockdown of going into a junior school and do it. There's, there's, there's certain money games you can play that might take a few hours, but it's really, really fun for the kids. But it also starts to give them an idea of actually, well, first of all, this is what money's worth. So, you know, just just trying to plot on a chart. Whether, where, you know, how much a, might, a car might be or a house or a phone or a, or, a, or a gym membership or something like that. You can plot it on a chart. And now it's interesting to see what they think things cost, but also starting to teach them, probably most importantly, the idea of risk, of yeah. starting maybe some little gambling game to show them, well, actually, I can make more money on this one, which is, which is uh, safer than I can on this one. So I keep losing my money on this game all of the time uh, because yeah. it's too high risk. And that's a great way, hopefully, to stop people getting into things like gambling and credit debts. So hopefully the next generation, um, unfortunately, it was too late for you, Ashley. You're too old now. (laughs) (laughs) The next generation, hopefully, will have some sort of grounding in in money management. So let's hope it carries on. That's positive, because I think, like Ashley said, and even even my generation, when I was younger, um, you know, I had advice off parents and things like that. And, and but you know, as a youngster, I mean, I, I, I as you probably did experience the, the credit crunch, and yes. before the credit crunch, people were just lending money really nearly. Um, and what bought that on, and you know, I've kind of seen that. And I, I wish I'd had the advice I've got now when I was, you know, when I was 21, 22. So I'd have a lot, I'd have a lot more to show for it now. So I think it's a really, really positive thing that is 100. I agree. We start that start start that experience trail just earlier in their life, and hopefully, then when they come to their yeah. early mid twenties, then they've got more of an idea of where where to go to. So let's let's hope it sticks. That's what we're hoping. Do you let's have many? So. Do you have many clients now who are in their early twenties? Then, if they're the if they're the people that you're going after, have you had much success in that? And are you seeing a shift in young people's attitudes towards future financial planning? Yeah, completely. So what you tend to find is that there's one major difference between the, the older clients, and I'll say that's probably the 50s plus, compared to the younger clients, i say the 35s below 35. And that's the fact that most of the wealth in this country still lies with the over 50s. Um, so when they're doing investments, they're, they're investing what they've already got. They're investing lump sums, um, probably what they've saved in banks and, and pensions. Whereas the, uh, the, the younger generation are generally saving on a regular basis. They're saving monthly because they haven't got the assets there to start with to mm. save. So that's the major difference. But, but we get, we're catching them early. And we're also tending to find now that actually the younger generation are actually quite adventurous. So whether it's, a, whether it's an age thing and you tend to become more cautious as you get older, or it's just the fact that people have got a bit of an understanding now of things like shares and pro- especially property, is it actually worth taking a little bit of risk 
to be able to get a return. You can't just leave your money in the bank account, in bank accounts to be able to get that. So it's quite refreshing to see that youngsters are willing to sit down and talk to you. Um, but there's, there's definitely a, a difference in how they invest compared to the over 50s. What would you say to those people? Because I guess when it comes to money, finances, pride will come into it a lot of the time, I guess, or maybe embarrassment or a whole host of different emotions. So what would you say to those people who are thinking about the idea and thinking, if I'm listening to this conversation with you, thinking actually I could benefit from doing that, but maybe I'm a little bit embarrassed or what What would you say to people to, to make them overcome that? Well, first and foremost is that if any financial advisor worth their salt should make it clear that every, everything you talk about is confidential. So nothing would go further than themselves. Um, but secondly, there's no obligation. So there's nothing to say that you, can, you need to pay for any advice. You may, be, you may to start to have a consultation. And sometimes just having a, um, another pair of ears to listen to what you want to say is very good. But there is always that element of embarrassment, especially if people are looking to say, let's say someone's going for a mortgage and they've never admitted to anybody else that they have a CCJ or some poor credit in the past. To suddenly open up about it can be difficult. But all I'd say is that without speaking to a professional, it's never going to improve, unfortunately, yeah. that it needs to improve. Uh, in the same respect of I've sat down with clients who may be in there, might be, might be young, but also some of them a bit later in life and suddenly go, well, actually, yeah, I'm, I'm 55. I'm thinking about retirement, but I've never actually paid money into a pension. Yeah, right. OK, well, yeah. well, well done for doing something about it now. It would have been nice to have done it earlier. So let's yeah. hope the next generation will. But there's, the, every day you leave it later, it's just going to get worse and worse. So the best thing you can do is nip it in the bud and deal with it as quick as you can. So, okay, it might take a bit of a, uh, a bit of a leap to be able to come overcome the embarrassment. But all I'd say is that it's not going to get any better until you speak to someone who knows, who hopefully knows their stuff about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And on the topic of pensions, um, yes. obviously now we all have workplace, workplace pensions because that's mm -hmm. the law. Um, what, would you advise that employees who have a workplace pension stick to their workplace pension or have their own their own private in pension as well? Um, how what would you recommend to people in that scenario? It's a good question because it's a question we get asked quite a lot because again people are going into pensions and quite often don't know anything about them. So first things first is if your company are offering you a company scheme, take it immediately. Take it. Main reason is because it's free money is that they're going, to be give, they're going to be paying on top of it for you. So the government standard rules, or uh, auto-enrolment standard rules at the moment, will say that with any pension scheme, you, you as an employee will pay 5% of your salary, and the company will pay in a further 3%. So that's 3% of your salary that you wouldn't otherwise have received. So if you can afford to pay the 5 please do so, because you're going to get the 3 on top. But also, it actually works out to more than that, because it's Every money you pay into a pension is what we call tax relieved. So it's coming out of your income before you've paid any tax on it. Mm -hmm. No national, no national insurance, uh, no income tax. So it's been shifted from a taxable environment into your name, albeit a pension. It's been shifted into your name and you've paid no tax on it. Um, and dependent on how you come to take the money out when you get older, you may not pay any tax on it then, depending on how you withdraw it. But it's a fantastic scheme. So if you can get into it, get into it. Um, it, uh, there are a lot, lots of different auto-enrolment schemes out there. There's some ones that people will be probably, they'll have heard the names of, things like Nest and People's Pension um, or Now Pensions is quite a, com a common one. Um, 
they are different. Some of them will have different benefits attaching to them. Some of them will have more funds to be able to manage, um, more different funds you can choose from. What I would say to people is that, okay, you might not find pensions particularly interesting now, but if you've got a scheme, if you've got a pension scheme that's offering you a few different funds of different risks, different, different risks and rewards, actually log on to your log on to your online portal. Have a look at the different pensions you can you can do and have a play around with them. This is how you start to learn. It's like an education. Go on there, have a play around with them and invest in some different ones over different months and see how the performance goes. And you know what? You might find yourself as a, a bit of a mini financial advisor. For, for, uh, you know, and it all, all it just helps for later life. So, yeah, but there is no we never advise anyone to come out of a, of a, a company pension scheme that's been offered to them because it's good advice to stay in it good advice there's nothing stopping you paying more into another scheme if you want to pay more you can pay more into the uh, company scheme or you can pay more into another into an outside scheme but, but still make sure you pay that base amount into the auto enrollment workplace pension. great thank so. you and my final question is obviously this is the west midlands people podcast i'm new to the west midlands as you know no. <laughs> <laughs> seven weeks this week i can't believe it it's flew over um but what is it that you're obviously birmingham i'm trying to say it correctly because i keep getting told off for not pronouncing the g in it what is it that you love about the west midlands richard yeah i mean it's, it's, it's just tough i mean I've, I've been in birmingham now for 38 years uh which i know it's hard, hard to tell from you know 38 years <laughs> But yeah, it, I love Birmingham and I'd, I'd never move, or Birmingham and Solihull, I'd never move away from it. It's got a fantastically diverse population. Uh, we Believe it or not, we're very cosmopolitan. It feels like a very weird thing to say about Birmingham and Solihull, that we're very cosmopolitan, but we are. Uh, or as my nan would call us, very Neapolitan. I think there's a bit of confusion there. <laughs> but yeah, there's such a range of stories. And for me to go to somebody's house or business from one day to the next, is that no two stories are the same. They really, really aren't. Birmingham has got a fantastic manufacturing heritage that's now evolved into more service providers, more financial services, but there is still a fantastic manufacturing, marketing, creative hub to Birmingham. Um, uh, you know, all, all revolving around probably some of our, you know, the, the most famous part of the ball ring. And the clients are just fabulous. They really, really are. And I, I wouldn't change them for the world, uh, which, you know, hence why I've kept the accents keeps me man of the people um, <laughs> I, know, I know my audience I'm not, I'm not sure if I was to move to another part of the country if I'd be taken seriously so, <laughs> so, <laughs> stick with what you know <laughs> well Richard thank you very much for um, for, for sharing um, you know about, about your business and, and some advice um, regarding um, some of the financial matters and the pensions Um Ashley tells me that you're um, uh, that you like your quizzes. <laughs> yeah, How oh, did she? That was nice. Um, yeah, so I've, uh, to date, I've done uh, thirteen TV quiz shows. Yeah. My life. How, how did that come about? Um, I when I was twenty-one, I just I decided I, I started watching The Weakest Link. If you can remember yeah, The Weakest yeah. Link, and I just loved it. So I just thought, Do you know what? I'll give it a go. I'll, I'll apply and got on and did the audition and got on and I got to the final I didn't win it but I got to the final uh, 21 okay. pretty good and then you get to a point where I, I sort of akin it to being a karaoke is that you're dead nervous to do your first song yeah. and then once you've done you just want to keep getting back up and doing another one 
Um, so yeah, so that's what I found I was doing. But I also then, when, there's only about three or four companies who do all the TV quiz shows. Yeah, so yeah. once you put your name registered with them, if they're ever struggling for contestants, they just pop you an email and say, can you, can you come and can okay. you come and have an audition? But it's, um, I think there's also, the, the, they like to have a diverse, you know, from around the country. So they want yeah. men and women. And, but they also, I don't think they get many people from the Midlands, to be honest. I think we tend to get overlooked a little bit. I think, I think we're only allowed, I think Birmingham's only allowed two people on TV at any one time. So until <laughs> Lenny, Henry, Lenny Henry and Adrian Child snuff it, I think, I think I'm going to have to continue to be a financial advisor. <laughs> uh, <laughs> do, do you remember um, a series? I remember, remember it, if I was ill off school or anything like um, one called Going for Gold. And it, going for, with all the countries that? around Europe. Yeah, and, and it was like everyone was from Denmark, Denmark and Norway and Holland. There. Denmark and Norway, yeah. yeah. But it all seemed really unfair because they, they all the questions were in English, which were actually spoken, which were um, the presenter was an Irish guy called um, I can't think of his name. Oh, uh, anyway. Kelly, somebody Kelly, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, no, no, whatever his name was. Uh, uh, but yeah, but all these people from around Europe, and they've they've suddenly got to hear these questions in English. Surely the English guy is gonna have a much better chance of winning than the guy from Hungary. Surely, yeah. 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 I, 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 it always fascinated me because there was always yeah, you, you, all the game shows that you watch like on a, on, a, on a Saturday night for argument's sake. It was just like yeah, you get like people from Manchester, Newcastle, Birmingham, but I remember any, any Brummies being on going for gold at all. No, no, no. So no, what? No, so, no, so, which one was your favourite show to be on? Oh wow, that's a tough one. I think the probably probably because we won it and we was in a group was one called Tipping Point, uh, not Tipping Point, um, Tenable. Tenable. Oh, Tenable. with um, Warwick Davis. Warwick Davis is, yeah. is hilarious. He's absolutely brilliant off screen. But we went there as a team of five from my cricket from my cricket club. Um, I was I was captain of it, and we uh, yeah we won. It just we won nice. between us won 11,000. 11, so to come back from London on the train knowing you'd won with all your friends was just phenomenal. That's really brilliant. Good. Did you come back brilliant. with much of the eleven thousand? <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we may we may have, we may have come back first class. You know we, we may have done. <laughs> Well, I'm going to test your brain a little bit as we're talking about um, local dialect and accents and, and where people from. I've, I've been massively confused by some of the things that Ash has been talking to me about this week and phrases. <laughs> and, so what I'm going to do, so I don't feel so stupid now. What I, and, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you some phrases, um, and you've got to give me the uh, what, well, what you think it means. Um, I won't put on an accent because I'll say it especially. If you can't guess it, you think I really don't know, then we'll get Ash to put it into a sentence for us. So we'll start with a nice, easy one. Uh, Hawaii man. What Hawaii man? I'm, I'm assuming it's got to be hello or all right, all right, you, all right, friend. Ash, would you say that's about there? Yeah. No, no, not really. Oh, okay. No, okay. no, kind of. If I say Hawaii man, I'd say here we are. Okay. Uh, okay. okay. Two can be used for positive or positive or negative, can't it? Wait, yeah. Is that right? Yeah, okay. Oh, I so uh, I'm learning, I'm learning, I'm learning. Yes. Right, so, so the next one is um Adji. Say that again. Gadji. Gadji. Gadji, yeah, yeah. Gadji. No, I've not I've only got I've only ever heard anyone say it. No, you're gonna have Fred to I. Neither had I. What is it, Ash? A man. A gadget. Yeah, it's a man. Like Inspector Gadget. <laughs> <laughs> Gadget. 
Yeah. Right, the, the next... I E on the end. Okay, okay. So the next, the next one, um, he, and I'm not talking about the non when I say it's Hadaway. 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 Can't say it without an accent. Hadaway. <laughs> I do remember that. I do remember the pop sensation. By the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. Um, Hadaway. Is that like? Oh my god. You can sing the song for us if you want. No, no, no. You're right. That's fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> is it like? Oh, is it like? Oh my gosh. Is it like something you say as um as like a. It's relief, yeah. 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 Exactly. Well done. There we go. Got one. Here's one, and I and I completely didn't get this one at all. Clamming. Clamming. Clamming, yeah. Clamming. Um well, it's, I mean Newcastle's up on the coast, isn't it? So do they catch clams? You, you're going down the same route that I went down. No. Clamming. Um a bit sweaty, getting sweaty or something like that. Hungry. Right. Hungry. 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 Yeah. Of course it is. That no, makes absolutely perfect sense. <laughs> oh, how could you not get that one? Um, Newcastle is part of the country, isn't it? We are we are still talking think, the same language. I think so, yeah. I, I think I'm pretty sure. Um Ge geographically it is, I'm just not sure culturally that it is. That's the <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 we'll, we'll throw a couple more in uh, Netty. 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 Is, um, Netty. Is that so? So is that Would you describe someone who's Netty is quite good looking? No. no. <laughs> okay. Go on, Ash. Go on. Oh no, I was miles. That wasn't on. <laughs> I was going to say. I was, yeah. I was just, I was just going through the motions. <laughs> um, I think someone would be quite offended if you were if you were to refer to them as a Netty. Yeah, so maybe don't do that one, Richard. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, and, and I suppose the last one, um, is it pl Pludge? Is that a pronounce it? Pludge. 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 Is that a name Plod. for a no, policeman? Splodge. Oh, Splodge. Splodge. Oh, Splodge? Yeah. Oh, I've got one written down here and it says, it says, it looks like it says Pludge. No, it's Splodge. 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 So it's like a splodge just isn't just like a big blob of paint or something like that. <laughs> no. no. So if you were going to go splodging. Um, splodge. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, is it, maybe this doesn't happen in, in uh, rambling cross country. No? <laughs> no. No. That one's kind of dipping at the sea. You kind of like. Paddling. Yeah, paddling. Like, Wading or paddling. Wading, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So we we've been doing some of these like before we we came on air, and Ash went through about twenty of them, and it got to the point where I was just guessing completely random things. She'd say something, and like, um, what was the one, Mara? And I, I had no idea. It's a friend, apparently. I think I said Hammer. Um, but for me though, it's crazy because there's a lot of them that I thought were nationwide phrases, and yeah. then quite quickly realised that the weren't. So one yes. that I use quite often is spelk, and that means a splinter. <laughs> but I thought spelk was just a UK-wide used term, but quite clearly it's not. So it is, it is, it is astonishing. It's astonishing that you just assume that your your vocab <laughs> is just around the country. That I always did, and that I I always thought from Birmingham is that the, I I never realised the word gamble had never travelled around the country. What's gambol again? Were we did talking? You know this, you was know this, this the forward after? roll? This is yeah. the forward roll. Yes, yeah. I did only just learn this today from John, and I was extremely shocked. 
<laughs> Incredible that, that I'd never. And also, I think the one that really separates the country is what you the, the word that you use to describe a bread roll. Yeah, because absolutely. That, that can, that can separate now. I think we've gone to war over less, to be honest. Yeah. It's a bread bun from where no, I'm a, from. It's a cob. It's a cob, cob where I'm from. Cob. Yeah. Donna, yeah, are you a cob? cob? The cob, yeah, definitely cob. Yeah. And I need to find Manchester. some old bowlers down here. <laughs> my, 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 my daughter lives in Rochdale near, near Manchester, and they yeah. call it a barn cake. Barn, yeah. And that really, really concerns me because I think the, to define a cake is if you can put a candle in it. No, I've never put a candle in any bread, so no, absolutely not. Yeah. Well, thank you, Richard. So the last part is we're going to allow you. You can sign us off the podcast in your best Georgie accent, Richard. <laughs> um, right. Why, I bet um, I don't know about that, like. <laughs> well done, Richard. Well thank done. Thank you very much. Well, Richard, thank you very much for being yes, our you. very first guest. It's been very informative. We've had a little bit of a giggle, but know the advice that you've given has been great. I've certainly learned a few things, and I know yeah. that the listeners will get a lot of benefit from it as well. So thank you very much. You're more than welcome anytime you like. Thank, thank you. you Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye.